What did you have for lunch last Sunday? Well, there's one answer. I don't necessarily want you to answer. How many can remember what they had for lunch last Sunday? I guess most of you know you had a good meal, right? But you can't remember. Okay, last Sunday morning you had a spiritual meal. Who can tell me the three things that Chris Densham said to us? Think about it. I'll tell you, I was very, I communicated to him too as well and told him. I thought it was a different personality, but brilliant propositional truth that we did need to hear. Talking about Nicodemus, wasn't he? Talking about being an ongoing learner with a questioning mind. Talking about focusing on the big picture, not focusing on uh, one particular thing that then distorts the big picture. And he was talking about faith and courage. But that was last week. It's gone. One of the definitions of preaching, not necessarily totally accurate, but, tr- uh, but preaching is truth through personality. Okay? Truth through personality and I use that definition at the beginning not as I say it's a totally accurate one because as we turn to our subject which is Apollos his mom and dad called him Apollonius by the way but we will call him Apollos when he was circumcised on the eighth day and when it was repeated as his bar mitzvah uh, that was his name I need to open my sermon notes so that you at least, and I have some prompts. His background, Apollos. He was an Alexandrian Jew. There are three main cities in the then known world. Well, there were more than three, but three very big ones. One of them was Alexandria, one of them was Ephesus, and one of them was Rome. And he came from Alexandria which is what I call the Wolverhampton of the then known world. It was highly cosmopolitan, right? I've told you I had 22 different nationalities in the church I was pastoring. It was like that in Alexandria. One church, they couldn't go down the road to the, uh, the Baptist or the Congregationals or the Anglicans, one church. So they all had to be together under one roof well, it may not have been one Ruth because they're probably more home-based than uh, building-based at that particular time in church history. But he came from that sort of background, Jew- Jewish. Now, listen, I could spend a lot of time making up stories about Apollos because we don't know. How on earth did he come to faith? Did his mum and dad, had they come to faith? How were Jews actually in Alexandria? Had they been born there? Or had they, with all the political instability that had gone on in the land uh, around the fall of Jerusalem, had they, and it was AD 70, had they actually migrated for security like people do today to Alexandria? I do not know. But he was raised in that background. He was raised in a very multicultural Multiracial context, 
but he was clearly a passionate Jew. Very, very much so. So much for his background. Let's think about his beliefs, because that's really important. His beliefs. He was Jewish. That means he was a monotheist. He believed that God was one. Now, all Jews in those days and in the days of Jesus had believed that a Messiah was coming. But there's very, very little evidence that the Jews, in expecting the Messiah, had been expecting God to come in person. Because God's one. You ask a Muslim. I've done a lot of research with Muslims, and the thing that is most offensive to them is the idea that we should ever talk about Jesus as God's son. How can God have a son? He's one. Well, there's a bit more to it than that, as many Muslims find when they come to faith in Jesus. So he is obviously somewhere down the line. We do not know where. You can postulate in whatever way you want. He had come to believe not only that Jesus was the Messiah, which was a massive step for a Jew to make, but he'd actually come to believe miracle of miracles, that this Messiah was God incarnate. I think, that, I think the incarnation is the central truth of the faith. The rest will all fit into place if you understand that God came as a baby. And he was truly human. What a crazy thing to say. But he was truly divine at the same time. So that was his beliefs. And he, whether he picked that up at home or whether there was a major conversion experience, but he was passionately committed to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. Now all of our behaviors, we've talked about background, we've talked about belief. What about his behavior? Luke describes him in a very interesting way. But of all of, our, all of our, the way we behave as people actually comes, I suppose this is simplistic, but it comes from our belief structures, our values, which then get expressed through our personality. Some are very noisy and extrovert, some of the quiet, reflective sort and everything in between. I don't think you need to have too much imagination to recognize these descriptions as suggesting you as an extrovert. This is Luke's words, not mine. Fervent, verbally accurate, bold, learned. And he used all those personality gifts when he was ministering specifically to the Jews. Now I have a calling which goes beyond ministering to my own type and my own racial grouping, but that's where the first responsibility always lies for all, all of us. And he took that responsibility seriously and he used all his education, he used all his faith, he used all his personality, his passion, his ability to communicate to people. <coughs> Excuse me. And he spoke of Jesus. And he did it very effectively. And people were persuaded. And there is a place for apologetics 
It probably isn't the sort of thing many of us are called to. I've had a minimal amount of experience of that. But there is a place where people can present Christ and bring out the intellectual and the theological and the cultural and the social background that actually helps people to engage with this strange character, Jesus Christ, that we're always talking about is. And he did that. And he did it hugely effectively. Behavior that was absolutely on fire for God. But I want to talk here, and I think this is very relevant for all of us. I want to talk about his blindness. Not his physical blindness. That's distressing enough. I want to talk about his spiritual blindness. Me, you, every one of us are profoundly influenced by our background. Yeah? ABC stuff, isn't it? ABC stuff. The background doesn't need to determine the present or the future, but it will be profoundly part of who you are. Yes? You're with me. And this is important. Really important. Because in Apostle, uh, in Apollos' case, or Apollonius, as his mum and dad called him, <coughs> as he began to speak, there were others who listened and thought, goodness me, there's a talent there that can be used for the kingdom and will be used for the kingdom and is being used for the kingdom, but he's missing something. Now, obviously, Aquila and Priscilla were obviously very wise, spirit-filled, very, very sensitive people. Because it's very difficult to approach a person who's a preacher and say, my dear brother, there's just something I'd like to just add to your understanding, right? Doesn't that tell you straight away something about Apollos? The brilliant as he was, accurate as he was, learned as he was, he was a man involved in what we call today all-age learning. Not the intellectual learning, but the spiritual learning. He was a man who was open to receive truth. Now let me just look at you. And let me ask you a question. Are you still open to receive truth, new truth? It won't contradict Scripture. It will be in step with the Spirit. But are you still, is your mind, is your spirit still open? I've been a Christian for 60 years. And I know that can't be true because I'm only 27, Arlene, as you know. But listen, there is something that is actually a function of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a teacher that will, if you are giving him license in your life will keep on teaching you. And I ask you the question, are you open to receive new truth? Clearly the thing that was missing in um, Apollos' life 
was any understanding of the Holy Spirit in a meaningful theological and experimental way. And Priscilla and Aquila had the capacity to draw alongside him. He had an open mind, and they had sensitivity, didn't they? I have seen people try to tell someone where they were needed to add to their understanding, and just the whole thing explode. In several church meetings, I bring to mind. But they had a capacity, God-given capacity, no doubt, of being able to approach him and teach him, and they taught him about the Holy Spirit. He didn't know. Now listen, you learned the faith. Uh, in my case, I learned it at my, my mother and my father's knee, right? Because Jesus broke into our family in a dramatic way. But where did you learn the faith? Sunday school? Good. I can remember my Sunday school teachers. I was well churched. If getting to heaven was a question of how many times you've been to church, I'd be miles ahead of you. From a little tiny baby, I've been four times on Sunday. Well, not so much these days, but it's not about that, is it? It's about a relationship with God, uh, a relationship with Jesus, which is made real by the Holy Spirit. And you see, many, many people I find, especially as I move around the world, and I'm openly charismatic in a balanced way, I hope, many, many people really, really frightened of the Holy Spirit. They really are. The Holy Spirit, uh, John describes it brilliantly in John. He says the Holy Spirit is a comforter, another one to come alongside and to comfort us. And it's fascinating in the Greek. Pin your minds back for a moment and stay with this. He talks about another comforter. And he could say heteros paraclete, but he says alos paraclete. Heteros means another of the same sort. Alos means of exactly the same character. Right? So the Holy Spirit is exactly the same character as Jesus. You've got a problem with Jesus? Well, you like to have a problem with the Holy Spirit. Or put the question the other way. If you think you've got a problem with the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, you have a problem with Jesus. And I'm not talking about excess or extreme. I'm just talking theological and pastoral truth. Now my iPad's gone off, I may give up on that. It's in my head and my heart anyway, so I don't need those. So here is this man who was blind and Aquila, spiritually blind, partially spiritual, spiritually blind. And he goes and is corrected, no, not corrected, added to a more adequate understanding of the Spirit. And of baptism. And of course, you can't separate the two, can you? I mean, I'm assuming I don't need to explain that. If you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you've got to talk about baptism. Not only baptism in the Holy Spirit, but baptism in water. They're intimately connected. You've heard many, many sermons on that. I mustn't go there again. So here was a man of blindness. Spiritual blindness. Partial 
spiritual blindness. As a man of profound blessing to the church too, you notice all the bees. Do you know why they're done? They're, they're, they're meant to be memory joggers so you can think about the sermon later on. It was a profound blessing. He talks about him going on to Corinth being a tremendous blessing. Of course, by then he'd been, uh, <coughs> he'd been uh, further de- under, uh, had his, exper- his theology and his experience uh, added to. And if you want to know what that experience that he experienced was, you probably need to actually turn into chapter 19. And I'm not planning to do that. I'm talking about Acts 19. Because in those days, think about it for a moment. It's almost impossible for you or me to grasp. In those days, people had said and had come to the faith through the influence of either local churches or through the influence of individual Christians, or through the influence of wandering apostles or evangelists, of which there were a significant number, some of whom were way off the truth theologically, as the church had to wrestle with it. So the fact that he had only a partial background in terms of the real faith, don't hold that against him. The great majority of people need to be taught the truth. That's why we, in those days, they had catechumen uh, uh, courses to train people in the significance of baptism, what it was you were doing. There was plenty of weird mystery religions baptizing people, some of them drenching them in blood. Horrific if you look at Mithras or Isis, some of those mystery religions. So they needed to be taught. You need to be taught. Thank God, and I've said it many times from here, and I hope you understand that it it is a situation where you're being well-fed, right? You are being well-fed, extremely well-fed. Take that from me, and I've sat under some very, very strange ministry over 60 years as I've traveled. You are being well fed. Hear it, learn it. What was that lovely uh, quotation he had? We learn as we follow. I loved that last Sunday. We learn as we follow. Right? You don't learn when you wander away. You learn as you follow. But that's not the end of the story. He was a man of profound blessing. I've talked about his background and and his blindness and all of those things. But I need to at least turn into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with you as I finish and talk about, I was going to say, the church's blindness. Well, no, it wasn't blindness, but it was a problem. When I was doing my postgraduate research on, uh, for my thesis on healing in Nigeria, Uh, Rachel came with me and I did a lot of interviewing on tape and I spoke to many, many Muslims and many, many Christian pastors and we drove down one of the main streets in Jos and within one mile, within one mile, we passed 82 
different varieties of Christian church. Can you believe it? 82 different varieties. Some of them were racially and tribally based. Some of them were theologically based. Uh, The charismatic wing, which I was very involved with and which they could never understand me because they were wanting me to get into all sorts of things which you don't need to know about. But there were 83 of them. 83 choices about going to church. And the background was horrific. Deeply sad. I think the trauma that the Nigerian church is going through, and I spoke to Ian, I don't think he's here this morning. Seymour, I'm regularly in touch with the church several times a week in Nigeria with key pastors there. And the trauma that they're going through is because they had become so nominal and so focused on their own personal preference and their own particular extreme emphasis that they thought was so important that they could divide from other Christians. Back to where you started us off, Mark. Absolutely right. And so you end up with 83 churches. And I'm not saying they were completely wrong theologically. Probably there were some central truths that they did have. But you've heard me say here before, and I say it again, Christians around the world, and we're probably no different, have an incredible incapacity to separate preference from priority. Right? Of course, we'll go back to the text now, because what I want to simply say is this. It is perfectly understandable to have preferences in terms of personality. We are human beings. We think in our own unique way, and there are some people who do it for us and others who don't do it for us. But listen, I taught students, and I had to sit and listen to them. And I learned a secret that if you come with an open heart, even through a donkey, God can speak. And I'm speaking about a human donkey at the front, (laughs) right? Now, you you don't have any of that. You get quality teaching, right? So it's perfectly humanly understandable that we have preferences. That's because some people have a, a way that connects with our mind and our spirit, and others don't do it in quite the same way. That's human. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong, and it happened at Corinth, is when people forget the person and identify with other personality. You got me? That's what it was all about. You see, if you move away from being centered on Jesus, 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 and you're into this camp or that camp, Because you have a personal preference, you are actually, as Martin Luther said, ultimately the destroyer of the community of God. Strong language. He did say some fairly remarkable things, Martin Luther. Incidentally, he thought Apollos was the writer of of Hebrews. There's quite a strong case for that, but you can think about that one. 
So here's the church's blunder, blindness, blip. I said, I said to Rachel, blip. She said, oh, no, don't use that word. But you've got the point, have you? Have you got the point? Here's the background of a man partially, uniquely gifted, inspired by God, with a passionate relationship with Jesus, brilliant exegete, probably in Greek, which make for those of us who have a few words of Greek and thank God for lexicons, tremble. But a man who, as best I can read the scripture, and you can tell me I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong, I can't see that Apollos was building his own empire. That, that I've seen. A person who was in leadership, who was building their own empire. And if you build your own empire, you then destroy it. Right? I tell you, around the world, I could give you hundreds of illustrations of people who've built around the personality of one person other than Jesus. And they will ultimately destroy it. Because all leaders are flawed. Except, tell me, you've heard, have you? You've, you've been listening. Jesus. So Apollos. Not influenced or not controlled by his background. Your background, my background. My background's very similar to Graham's actually. Where we grew up in a, a church which was uh, very much talked about the Holy Spirit and yet stopped, completely stopped short of teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. And it took me about 15 years in my spiritual pilgrimage before I ever was released in that way. And mercifully, again, a Priscilla and Aquila came to me. Me, big noisy me, been shouting my mouth off about the Holy Spirit in the first mission station I went to teaching the chemistry and my fellow chemistry graduate who just lost his daughter in a very tragic situation said to me can I come and see you and I thought oh he wants to talk chemistry he came and sat by me he said listen I've just been hearing what you're saying and he began a process in my heart of opening. It didn't happen instantaneously. He just pointed out to me, probably it was the right approach, things I needed to think about. Was I absolutely sure that I was dominantly saying this, this? And the Holy Spirit, who was indeed part of my life even then, taught me and brought me into the fullness of what he wanted. So here's Apollos, someone to say some very profound things to us. I guess the two things that stick with me as I finish are the issue about our backgrounds. We've all got more to learn. That's right, Jean, isn't it? There's Jean, bless her, in her 90s. She's got more to learn. And some of us younger ones got more to learn for God's sake and your sake 
because you'll damage yourself and destroy yourself. Don't become a cause of divisiveness because you can control that. That's an issue of the will. And don't wrongly focus on human personality. There's only one personality that matters, and that's Jesus.